Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about to books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Sawbones. It's a marital tour of medi- misguided. What is it? Medical tour of misguided medicine, whatever. I'm Justin McElroy. Justin. You gotta, you gotta introduce yourself. I'm I'm Sydney McElroy. What's wrong with you? Oh God, it's nothing. It's this darn baby. No matter what I do. Wait, where did you get a baby now? It's our fictional intro <laughs> conceit baby. Okay, and this good. darn baby just won't stop crying. Well, what what have you tried so far? Uh, ignoring it. Okay, not a not a great start. We keep uh, going. <laughs> putting my finger in its mouth. Okay, that's not that's not recommended. Ambisol. Have, what do you think? Is, so oh, okay, so you think the baby's teething? Yeah, that's my that's my thought. Uh, I think the baby is having some teething issues. I'm hoping if you put your finger in its mouth and you no, I had yeah, all, I, no, I had an end game, yeah, for sure. Okay, you didn't just think that he or she I can't tell the gender of this baby was hungry. No, no, no. I I, I think the baby is teething, and I think that's okay. central to to sort of the problem I'm having. Well, uh, you know, I am a physician. Maybe I could suggest something you're saying i should have turned to you first in the care and treatment of our fictional intro conceit baby well always <laughs> okay fair enough what 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 do you got what, what do you suggest uh, have you considered dr farney's teething syrup dr farney's teething syrup do tell dr farney's teething syrup is a, a revolutionary new uh formula that includes the the three main things you definitely definitely want to give babies hit me Milk? No. Tender loving care? Nope, not that either. Plenty of oxygen? Oh, come on. Alcohol, morphine, and chloroform. Oh, no. That doesn't sound to me, a non-doctor, like a great blend for baby. That's exactly what babies need. Uh, Not just for teething. The uses are practically endless. Does your baby have a cold? Uh, no. But what if if he did? Oh, he won't now. (laughs) Does your baby have diarrhea? He might. Perhaps colic. Uh, all those things. I know that doctor says that your baby doesn't have worms, but your doctor's probably wrong. Your baby has worms. You're saying Dr. Far- Farney's te- teething syrup is the, uh, is the solution. It's the solution to everything. It's the cure-all. You said it's revolutionary and new. Uh, how recently was this brought to market? This was uh, like the 1850s, Perfect. about. Okay, great. 
and uh, and you should just dose it until you you know get the effect you desire. So usually that's sleeping, a good hard sleep and quiet, really quiet. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy need some quiet time. Um, Sydney, I know uh, alcohol, I know chloroform, but I want to know more about morphine. Well, Justin, you've come to the right place. Have I though? So let's start back before morphine, though. Okay. Because morphine's something everybody's heard of. Everybody's got some morphine. Oh, right. Everybody's got morphine. Everybody's these got days. some morphine kicking around. No, let's let's go way back. Way, let's get in the way way back machine. The way back machine. The time machine. I don't remember that you have. That I have. And let's go back to thirty four hundred thirty four three thousand four hundred. That's the year I want to go to. Oh. BC. Okay. <laughs> We're kind of jumping all over time. It's very That's disorienting. Very, sorry. I'm taking you back to the poppy fields of Mesopotamia. It's beautiful here. Isn't it? Thank you for for whisking me away. Take a deep breath. Well, not not too deep. Why not? Because <laughs> I want you to take another one afterwards. Okay. <laughs> so so that this far back, people were cultivating poppies. And because the, they were beautiful? They were beautiful. And because you could um, smoke them. Oh, really? They mm-hmm. they just discovered that, huh? Well, the, yeah, they would like heat them up and then inhale them. You I didn't bet, smoke them, you didn't set them on fire. I guess primitive man was basically just smoking anything he could yeah. get his hands on. Pretty much, and you could eat them. Oh, great, did it have the same effects? And it, Well, they called the, they were like the flowers of joy. Oh, fun. So you can, Im- I can imagine that Yes, they had the same effects. I know, I'm sure there was a nice mellow high. But there was no medical use of opium at this time. This is purely just funsies. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just good times. Just party. That is until 460 BC. So we're jumping forward. Okay. Way, way forward, but then also way, way back still. Still back, but more less back. Still back, but not as back. Um, And that's when, you remember Hippocrates. Sure, right. He, uh, yeah, for sure. Bleeding? So when we talked about Hippocrates? Mm-hmm. Well, he wrote an oath, too. Oh, that writes right, the Hippocratic Oath. That guy. That guy, do no harms. And stuff. And stuff. Do no harm and stuff. <laughs> That's Hippocrates, what I... There was BC. more to it, but... So Hippocrates, 460 BC, what, what, did he, what did he drop on us? So he was the first one to recognize that there were some medical uses for um, opium. And it's still opium at this point. We're not talking morphine. And he began to recommend that people use it for pain. Um, women should use it for their various diseases. Diseases of women? Meaning, you know, when women aren't doing what you tell them. Oh, okay, not listening. When they're hysterical. Ah, Because okay. their uteruses are moving all around inside their bodies and now, making them crazy. And Man, those are simpler times, huh? That's where hysteria comes from. Did you know that, Justin? I did not, Sydney. Yeah, it was the theory that when women were misbehaving, that their uteruses were just roaming around in there, making them go crazy. <laughs> this but is, it, of course, you heard not of, medically accurate. No, no, this isn't true, Fair as enough. far as you know. They also used it as a styptic, which is something that it's uh, an anti-hemorrhagic. It stops bleeding. Oh, okay. Does the, and that works? Like it wasn't a fake, fake uh, usage? No, I don't know why that would work exactly, so... Oh. Okay, good. Nice <laughs> but, job, but they but they tried. It but it was also used for pain, which it probably did work for. Sure. So so that's fair. For many, many years after that, it's mainly used occasionally for pain, but really still recreational purposes. Until fifteen twenty seven. So two thousand years 
just kicking around. Yeah, some people are. I mean, people might make up like I really gotta take that man because my elbow hurts. My ancient elbow. My ancient elbow is from this rock that I've been carrying this mummy all day, (laughs) pounding on. (laughs) Building a pyramid really takes it out of you. At the end of the day, I like a nice cold opium. Pass the poppies, Kimasabe. It's time to unwind. I don't even know where you are or when you are. I'm I'm doing a TV commercial in ancient Egypt, Sydney. Get the nap. So, 1527, opium is reintroduced, only now it's called laudanum. Okay. Same, I mean, is there a difference between opium and and laudanum? Laudanum is like a, um, it's like a tincture of opium, basically. It's a a syrup or a a mixture of opium with liquid to produce like a a syrup. Okay. So, a liquid now. Um, Usually mixed with, uh, well, and I should say, it usually is a liquid form is what we think of laudanum. There were also pills, but mainly it was just alcohol and opium. Delicious. They also made pills, these tiny little black pills that they called stones of immortality. And those were made out of opium and citrus juice and gold, of course. You got to put gold yeah, in there. Yeah, right. And you want to be healthy. Right. And then sometimes you like grind up some pearls and some musk and some amber and mix them all into these little pills. Now, is this still be- being used for health at this point or are we talking still still like, joyful times? Well, no, this is this is when we really started to say, no, this is a pain medication. This is a this is used not for fun, although it was fun. This is when you're hurting. <laughs> you should use this for pain. Uh, so that was 1527. Yes. I saw that. Um, and, and that, and this was still kind of um, something that like your local uh, apothecary might put together for you, but not necessarily like um, being sold. You know, it wasn't commercially available. Still controlled, in as much as there was control over that. that yeah, sort of yeah. I mean, not a lot of control. But by 1680, Thomas Sydenham was the first one to kind of come out with his version. Like this is a uh, a formula for laudanum it is made this way every time it's not just like something that mom mixes up at home it's the pepsi of, of laudanum right exactly sydenham's laudanum it's not a great name i think i could have gone with something catchy it's 1680 so you could pretty much any brand name you want you could call it microsoft laudanum uh frito-lay laudanum the taste of a new generation taste of a new generation get on board start getting those trademarks early but yeah. then, but then, like twenty years later, he came out with new laudanum. New and that laudanum. was terrible. Everybody, <laughs> Everybody liked hated it. that. And then there was crystal laudanum. Nobody liked crystal laudanum. Everybody liked crystal laudanum. They <laughs> could not get enough. Can we not get on crystal laudanum? Or Pepsi, I guess. Yeah, you're you're, you're still on on a case about crystal Pepsi. We, I don't understand why you liked crystal Pepsi. That was pretty good. No, it wasn't. You don't remember. You were too young. You couldn't appreciate its subtle effervescence. It wasn't good. Anyway, uh, it did. Sydenham's this has been our classic not. Crystal Pepsi bit that you've all been waiting for. <laughs> we talk about Crystal Pepsi a lot. I used to ponder it while you were trying to fall asleep at night. Yeah, it was great. It, I would be trying to fall asleep at you know midnight or one a.m. and from across the bed I'd hear, "Do you remember Crystal Pepsi?" <laughs> yeah, I do, sweetheart. That's exactly what I sound like. That's by the way, that's a pretty good impression. Mm-hmm. The people at home don't know what you sound like, Sydney. <laughs> How would they have any frame of reference? <laughs> You're right. They're, they're clueless. So this laudanum had a formula. It was mixed with 
um, sherry, and then like some herbs and some nutmeg and some castor and some saffron. That sounds and, nice. And basically, smooth laudanum. It was prescribed. Well, prescribed. I'm I'm using air quotes that nobody can see. It was given to you for everything. Everything. Give me an example. Uh, are you hurting? I am right Take, now. Here's some Sydenham's laudanum. Are you having trouble sleeping? Yep. Here's some laudanum. Did you get dysentery? Yep. <laughs> Too bad, but here's some laudanum. And this goes back to the classic sawbones rule, cure all, cure nothing. Exactly. <laughs> um, and this, uh, this persisted until they were finally, in 1803, in Germany, they were finally able to isolate the active ingredient of opium. Um, Principum somniferum. And this is, uh, until then, we didn't know why exactly or how exactly it worked. I guess we probably no. don't know, still don't know. In 1803, we probably still don't know exactly how chemically it was affecting us, right? No, we didn't. But we knew we knew the important part by 1803. We knew something was up. Yeah, we knew that we knew the part that was really important, the morphine. So that's when, that's 1803 is when we finally see morphine um, isolated. And then, and and at that point, it just, it revolutionized. It was God's own medicine. God's own. Is that what they really called it? Yep. That's what they called it. Thanks, God. You did us a solid again. And you got to think at the time, you know, we 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 are kind of being snarky about it because, you know, got people high. But we also didn't have any other strong pain medication yet. So when you were, you know, getting your leg amputated. Sure. You know, Thanks, I mean, God. I sincerely preach. I, I, I apologize for my earlier irony, God. <laughs> you really are doing me a solid. You know, morphine was pretty important. Right. And it was much safer because it was one, um, the one alkaloid. It was, it was, you know, purified. We knew exactly what it was. We didn't have all of the other parts of the opium, you know, the poppy derivatives that you didn't want in there. Did we start seeing fewer of the like um, these sorts of like fun blends? No, no, okay, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No, I mean, at that point, as the 1800s progressed, you did see Merck Company, Merck and Company, which I have to assume is still, you know, the pharmaceutical company Merck the origins of it. I would assume. They began commercially manufacturing morphine and that was certainly being used by doctors, you know, for you know, for pain relief in medical settings. But laudanum was still being sold over the counter um, to everyone. To everyone. It was mainly still mixed with alcohol, but I mean, you found it with with anything, with mercury, with uh, chloroform with whiskey, with wine, with cayenne pepper, with hashish, belladonna. Okay, I mean, so ether. Desi- designer morph, designer laudanum. Exactly. <laughs> laudanum with everything. And again, being used to treat everything. So at the time, it was very popular for women to look pale and frail and kind of sickly. So it's basically like the late 90s. You know, that's a good point. So it was popular to look like Kate Moss. Okay. And what better way to do that than a nasty amopiate addiction? I mean, I could think of a better way, but well, <laughs> I'll, I'll great you can see. It's the 1800s. They couldn't. They couldn't. <laughs> Their so, imaginations he, were dulled you, by laudanum. You had two choices. Either get TB or look like you have TB by, you know, drinking laudanum. What's her secret? <laughs> Is it TB? No. I only look like I have TB. <laughs> it's kind of funny that at the time, men were attracted to women who may have a communicable disease, who looked at least like they had one. And in fact, you can still see it sororities all across America. <laughs> Come 
Come on. That's just a Come joke. Come on, Justin. That's goof. not fair. Come on. It's very much still being marketed towards women. Now, I mean, men are definitely using laudanum as well, but um, women are still being told to use it for, you know, menstrual cramps and aches and pains and uh, and especially marketed towards women because they're being told to use it for their babies, as we discussed. Oh, God. So not only was uh, Dr. Farney's teething syrup popular, <laughs> um, but there was Godfrey's cordial. That sounds nice. That sounds kind of uh, uh, highfalutin, I think. I think it sounds highfalutin. That was um, that contained opium as well, water, spices, and as I was corrected from our previous episode, treacle. Treacle? Not treckle. Oh, I yeah. didn't know. Thanks, listeners. That was very, very, very popular. Um, Steedman's powder, Atkinson's royal infant's preservative. <laughs> Oh my! Mm-hmm. Why aren't we grandiose with our morphine? <laughs> and this was um, being doled out to households uh, by the—I mean, hundreds of gallons a year. Well, because, people were prescribing it. Well, I mean, because they got addicted to it, right? <laughs> well, they—well, people were addicted to it for sure, but they were also giving it to their infants in these mass quantities. Uh, that's the scary part. I mean, there and there, and actually, and this is this is not a joke. It actually probably contributed to infant mortality at the time. Wow, really? Like mm-hmm. a discernible amount? Yes, a fair amount. Because, I mean, the doctors at the time would describe the way the infants looked as wizened like little monkeys. Oh, that actually sounds kind of cute, though, to it's, me. Well, it's not. <laughs> okay. The, the, they were wasted. They didn't want to. They were high all the time. And they were infants. They couldn't tell you that. But the, they stopped eating. Um a lot of the babies suffered from malnutrition. And, the, I mean, not that parents knew what they were doing. That was certainly not the goal. That was not the desired effect. It, no, they didn't intend that. Certainly, no. Um, but it, but like you said, it was very popular to you know give to your baby and to take. I mean, at the time, especially in the 1850s, everybody was dying of dysentery and cholera, so you may as well take some laudanum. Enjoy yourself while you're here, for crying out loud. Uh, as uh, as you may or may not know, opiates constipate you, so it actually probably did work for diarrhea. Oh, that's good. So you know your stomach's hurting you're having diarrhea, you take some laudanum, it probably eased those symptoms. And hey, if you had a cough, it would get rid of that too. Well, there you go. See, there's two legitimate treatments for this highly, highly addictive substance. And that was the problem, right? Is that people just didn't know at the time how addictive it was, or maybe they did, they just didn't want to accept it. Um, In that same time period, they finally figured out how to inject morphine as well. Oh, good. And so that was when I they, miss the they, flavor, though. I, 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 I can't, you can't beat a cold Godfrey's cordial out on the porch, you know, listen to your cousin hack up his lung to the TV. <laughs> You're just enjoying a, an ice cold Atkinson's Royal Infant Preservatives you over should, ice. You should really have done commercials for them, I think. I think that would have gone down pretty, I think I could have really made a name for myself. Um, in the, in the 1840s, it's interesting, opium was, um, a subject of much controversy not just because everybody was addicted to it but because it it was the cause of a war oh really Mm -hmm. between between china and england where they fight well it had to do with their trade at the time so china was shipping a lot more to england than england was shipping to china Mm -hmm. and england was not pleased with that sure so they basically just started dumping tons of illegal opium on china uh, in Chinese culture, this is remembered as the sweetest day ever. <laughs> I 
Uh, that, well, Come down to the beach. <laughs> you have to see this is amazing. All these English people are here, and they've got so <laughs> much opium. So much opium. I'm losing it. Uh, the the Chinese people were pretty thrilled. The Chinese government was not. Yeah, was the thrill. Um, and and a war ensued. Oh man, I, yeah. I hope hopefully it's paid up. It's uh, we we settled that. So as you as you may have guessed, um, because you live in the year 2013, <laughs> the story of opium doesn't. It's not the happiest of endings. Where do we go from here? You know, at this point, we're in the late 1800s. Opium is is widely used for theoretically medical purposes and it's being abused. And the thing is, it's not taxed the same way that alcohol is taxed. So it had really become like the working class drug. You know, you'd had a long day in the I don't, the mines, the mill. The, the, the textile plant. The textile factory, wherever you were. And on your way home, you don't swing by the pub and pick up a pint. If you can't afford it, you swing by the druggist and you pick up a bottle of laudanum. I would imagine, and and this is a guess on my part, this is not historically based, but I would imagine at this point the pharmacists sort of knew the score, right? Like they couldn't be blind to the addictive properties or some of the damaging properties of of opium at this point, right? They can't still be pleading innocent. No, I think I think you're probably right, is that at, at that point, the pharmacists certainly knew because they were doling out so much of the stuff. Um, and, you know women were just going through bottle after bottle so what's the what's the timeline so, here because I, I have a i have a feeling that it probably accelerates so things are about to go horribly wrong <laughs> um in 1874 heroin heroin was first invented uh-oh. well not invented isolated uh-oh hello heroin yeah can you ruin the story so heroin ruin everybody's a good time heroin shows up and for a while um, we actually think we're on to something good because uh, we, you know, we've realized that people are addicted to opium. And so by 1895, um, the Bear Company, as in the makers of aspirin, Bear Aspirin. Um, and Bear Heroin in finer <laughs> stores everywhere. Well, yes, they started producing Bear Heroin. They could dilute morphine and produce a... Um, a less potent form of heroin that uh, they begin to use a few years later to try to get people off opium. You, you would think if your company's called Bayer and you're going to um, name a product that you're going to bring to market, you would pick something that slips off the tongue a little easier than Bayer heroin. <laughs> kind of like the rural juror. Bayer heroin. Bear, I Can I have some Bayer heroin? You, every time, well, every time you say it, you sound like you're high. So, this is so you can get away with being high. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so at that point, heroin is being used as a cure for uh, morphine and laudanum addiction, which doesn't go well. That does not pan out, huh? So at this point, heroin addiction is just through the roof. So by, by 1903, if you're not addicted to laudanum, if you're not addicted to morphine, you're now addicted to heroin. Perfect. So... That's finally when, um, at least in the U.S., the the Pure Food and Drug Act is passed in 1906, which is the first time that you are required to tell a consumer what is in whatever they're buying. 1906? Mm-hmm. Sheesh. So you can't just sell them, you know, Dr. Farney's magic 
teething syrup. Yeah. You've yeah. got to actually it's list what's on it. Very list. Yeah. Although, to be fair, in the picture that I looked at of Dr. Farney's teething syrup, it very clearly said that it's got alcohol and morphine and chloroform in oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is, it, 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 it's, it is not in any way oblique about what it no, is. No, it's not ambiguous. To your baby. Yes. Um, but, uh, People realized, I mean, this was the first attempt to start to regulate. By 1914, the Harrison's Nar- Harrison Narcotics Act was passed, and that was when it was required that a doctor or a pharmacist had to prescribe the, the, you know, the narcotic, and they had to be registered with an agency in order to do that. Is it is it tracked? Do you know? I mean, do they? you think they would have tracked who, who and who was doling it out and when. That's what they were starting to do. That's what they were trying to do at this point. I mean, certainly it is now, but that's what, this was the beginning of that effort. And and then by 1923, the selling of narcotics just, you know, in stores and on the streets became officially illegal. So you could only get it from a licensed uh, physician or pharmacist who was able to prescribe. Sid, I want to do opium. Okay, how how do I do it? Well, you can't. Okay, but I really, really want to do opium. How does it work? Okay, well, it's illegal, but if it wasn't and I was going to let you do it, then you would smoke it. Just put it in, like, my pipe over there and... No, because you don't... sham just light up? Well, not not exactly, because you don't actually... You don't burn anything. You just heat it up. And as you heat it up... Um, and it, it begins to vaporize, like, the, the alkaloids in it that are active. And the main thing is morphine. So it vaporizes the morphine, and then you inhale the steam, and you know, you get high. You get so 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 high. Ah, oh, okay. So no actual lighting of it. No, it's just like uh, it's kind of like an easy bake oven. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> just a light bulb. <laughs> hey, you told me something interesting uh, recently about um, we we had been talking about something related to this, and you. Uh, told me about a word that that got its start with in opium dens do you remember this oh hipsters hipsters yeah the so the term hipster um originated in opium dens from people who would lay on their side or lay on their hips while they while they smoked opium and so they were called hipsters and that was the Is this uh, true yeah okay or so the book I was reading said it was true. <laughs> All right. I'll take your book's word for it. I'm going to, if anybody knows that that's wrong, please let me know. But as far as oh, I know, that's will. absolutely it's the true. Internet. Yes, I know. Somebody's going to let me know. Have you ever heard, Justin, about uh, poppy seed muffins or bagels and um, the, the dangers of that if you yeah, have to take your and drugs? That's test? an old wives' tale, right? No. No? No. Uh oh. One poppy seed bagel can cause a false positive for opium on your urine, urine drug screen for up to 48 hours. Wow. Good to know. Yeah, that is good to know. And it's a great excuse if you have been smoking opium. So take that, Blockbuster video. That's my excuse. That's what happened, really. And if you do smoke opium, you are in good company. Do tell. There were there were many uh, famous famous opium addicts. That um, caterpillar. That caterpillar from Alice in, Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland was definitely the most famous of all. No, a lot of poets and uh, authors. So Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Percy Shelley, uh, Thomas De Quincey, George Crabbe. Pretty much all the romantic poets. Well, except for William Wordsworth. But everybody else. They were all using opium. Mary Todd Lincoln was addicted to laudanum. Oh, Did you know that? Does anybody get off 
get off this train. I know. I just like to make sure every time we do one of our episodes that I insult one of the Lincolns. <laughs> We've got it out. We've got your number, Lincoln family. We got you on watch. Fine. Doing laudanum. Fine. Your husband's doing mercury. We're going to make you all famous. <laughs> Finally. 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 The but Lincolns are going to get the recognition they deserve. Putting you on the map. Sydney, I I know you told me I can't have opium. Fine. Whatever. But it, it, we are still using some branch of this family tree today in medical care, right? Absolutely. Opium itself. So if we're talking about tincture of opium or laudanum, they still exist as uh, Schedule II drugs. Tincture of opium is what you would use now because you'd actually want to get rid of some of the substances that can cause a lot of nausea and vomiting, so you would purify it more. But uh, it's only limited to the use for severe diarrhea, uh, sometimes in terminally ill cancer patients. And um, they use it off-label sometimes for uh, babies who are born to mothers who are on opiates, so they're addicted. Sorry, what do you mean by off-label? Sorry, that means that it's not approved by the FDA. It's not a use that it was... um, that it got approval for so doctors are using it even though that doesn't you know that doesn't come in the literature it's not we don't have evidence for it okay um and then there's still of course all of the the branches of uh morphine so as they purified all the different substances in um opiates we got hydrocodone and oxycodone and um hydromorphone and all of the different narcotics that are used for pain control today here at Sawbones, we can't offer you a smooth, mellow high, uh, but we can offer you just a half-hour relaxation, a little distraction from your day-to-day uh, worries and cares. And uh, we certainly appreciate you giving us that that privilege every week. Absolutely. No, we thank you for tuning in, and we would much prefer you to listen to our show than do any drugs, please. We have a new Twitter account. Thanks to some dear friends, we were able to pull some strings and we got at Sawbones. So that's where you can follow us on Twitter. Pretty cool, pretty easy to remember. We also have a web page. It's sawbonesshow.com, but that just redirects to our Maximum Fun page where you can find us and all the other uh, fine Maximum Fun programs. So make sure you check those out. I know Jordan Jesse Go, another hit podcast there. Just started a Kickstarter campaign where they want to buy 1,000 ice cream cones for some people in Denver. Hey, let's move to Denver. Fine. <laughs> what a fine, <laughs> fine reason. Save on that $7 worth of I ice cream. I love ice cream. Me too. I love ice cream too. We are on Twitter ourselves. I'm at Justin McElroy. She's at Sydney McElroy. S-Y-D-N-E-E. And if you would be so kind and you got a couple minutes, head over to iTunes and uh, subscribe to our show, review it recommend it to friends uh uh, it it would mean the world to us yeah we love to hear from you guys feel free to tweet at us any um any corrections you have on my pronunciation (laughs) you can also email us sawbones at maximumfun.org got that this week too absolutely all kinds of branches of contact hope you'll take advantage of one and we hope you'll join us next friday for another sawbones i'm justin mcelroy i'm sydney mcelroy as always don't drill a hole in your head MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.